the system doesn't just start becoming magic day one. You've got to use it. You've got to build up the activity. You've got to have content, have information in there for it to really work. So that's how we are approaching this problem. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Do you employ or pay workers in other countries? Even if you don't yet, you might soon. Now that remote work is the norm, employees have more freedom than ever to move around. If you want to keep the best people, you have to stay flexible. That's why remote makes it easy for companies of all sizes to employ global teams. They take care of international payroll, benefits, taxes, and local compliance, so you can focus less on paperwork and more on growing your business. Remote helps you onboard full-time employees or contractors in countries all over the world in minutes on its simple, easy-to-use platform. And even better, Remote helps you rest easy by providing you the most comprehensive intellectual property protection and data security in the industry. They own full local legal entities in all their covered regions, guaranteeing you never have to deal with a third party ever. To save you money, Remote never charges any fees or salary percentages. You get access to everything Remote offers from payroll to compliance and to benefits management for one low flat rate. No hidden fees, no surprises ever. Just the best global employment solution in the business. Best of all, podcast listeners get an even bigger discount. Get your first employee free for 12 months and two months free for any additional employees onboarded during their first year. You can get 50% off Remote's full suite of global employment solutions for your first employee for three months. Just visit remote.com leaders and use the promo code leaders. Hello, leaders. Welcome back. This is Ledge. I'm excited to welcome Peggy Choi to the show today. Peggy, as I told you off mic, I just have the guests introduce themselves. You can do it better than me. So really great to have you here and, and please um, introduce yourself to the audience. Great meeting you, Ledge, um, and everyone. I'm happy to be here. Um, thanks for having me. So my name is Peggy and founder of Link. It's a company that is uh, trying to create a platform of knowledge networks. And what we're really looking to do there is we have this grand vision of organizing wealth knowledge. And we think that knowledge flows in people networks. And we basically try to convince businesses out there that they need to be think more about knowledge in a company, knowledge in the, the people networks that they have with the stakeholders and how to better manage that. So our solution is basically then used by these businesses to do exactly that. So talk about that knowledge networking and I know knowledge management, you know, was a hot topic and people were trying to always figure out how do you get things out of the brain trust that you have and then make use of it. I remember this going all the way back to 20 years ago, I worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers and, you know, we had a Lotus Notes and, you know, there was always some database that you could find that had the answer that you wanted. The question was, how do you ever put your hands on that? And even with the evolution of, of search technology, Elasticsearch now, you still can't always find the things that you, you wish you could. So, I'd, yeah, I'd love to talk about the problem domain a little bit there. 
Look, I mean, I think the word knowledge management has been around for many years, right? And like you said, still to this day, like, I think one of the most, I guess, unresolved problem for businesses, right? Yeah, I remember reading about that when I was in school and as I guess it's still around. But to your point, like you pointed out the exact sort of um, difficulty there, right? Which is knowledge sits in our heads. You know, that's sort of what you pointed out. And I think um, that's exactly why is that it's not an easy problem either. It's not like trying to index a you know document or websites or things that are already published, right? And how do you then organize it? How do you then predict where it is? Read people's mind, right? You know, obviously that's really outlining, I think, why is such a unresolved problem. And I think which is exactly also why like, like like me and our team were so excited and inspired by this problem. It's just like difficult problem, but once you are able to actually get to some level of solving it, I think the impact is tremendous, right? So so then what we're really kind of talking about here is this. We use this framework quite a bit internally, which is called DIKW, Data, Information, Knowledge, and Wisdom. And what that structure outlines is, you know, from data, you give it uh, meaning, information, you put context around it, it's just your know-how and your knowledge. And then with that, you can make decision, which is wisdom. So, so it's sort of outline sort of the, the hierarchy of like sort of how things get, you know, built up sort of in the infosystem and knowledge sort of world. And if you apply that framework to an example, such as like, let's say, if you don't feel so well, you know, today you might be reading articles online and you can probably see a lot of articles saying different things. And ultimately, actually, you go to see a, you go see a doctor and maybe you will see one in one doctor and you, you can maybe get the same actually information at the other day, but you trust the doctors. Like, no, you might want to go to a few to kind of triangulate and then decide what you want to do. But the doctor's know-how and experience is actually why you want that piece of knowledge. So applying that to then more broadly, businesses, we're talking about sort of B2B here. So where then do they find this insights and how? And I think the way we approach it is to think about that layer, right? Like there's data, there's information that sort of give rise to knowledge. So have a way to build it up and, and basically using sort of all sorts of data information that we can capture publicly available or through activities on our platform and software to try to have a way to predict what the person may know, and through the activities itself, validates, I guess, confirm some of these predictions per se, uh, and draw similarities. So there's like quite a bit of, a, I guess, those data work that, that goes um, into um, our software to, to allow people then ultimately find the right person who likely know what you are looking for in your people network. So you could, for example, put into the platform, I want to know somebody who's dealt with this particular problem in our company, and it would suggest then you should talk to Peggy. Is it that advanced? Uh, yeah, so it's basically a mix of having to also work in the right um, use case and the right incentive. So use case is really important. So because you can, let's say with any sort of people network or groups, right? I think if the culture isn't one where people are freely sharing knowledge, it's actually quite hard to try to make that happen. So we're going after use cases and um, situations where you already have some form of inherent sharing going on. So then by facilitating those sharing, you're starting to capture activities 
And that's how you build out the, the data that you need to further predict and confirm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can give you some example. Say this, corporates, they have customer insights and market insights teams that need to talk to prospects and customers. That's a form of trying to, yeah, that's a form of capturing knowledge, capturing insights. It's like studying customer insights. Right? <laughs> so, 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 so hence, uh, these functions can actually use our product called Circle to create a customer advisor network have those conversations with the prospect or customers and understand from these conversations, you know, what, you know, sit in the, the network that they can glean further in the future. And so functionally, meaning even for what they're looking for now, we are helping them to make it a, more efficient, right? That they have this system where they can easily have this conversation with this prospects and customers and stakeholders uh, versus you might have to spend money on a focus group, consulting firm. So, so already you solve the efficiency point, get, uh, capture the use case and then build the the data from there. Right, right. So you could facilitate the capture of a conversation in context that is then useful for doing something right. else with it. The interesting thing about companies now is we're tremendously good at capturing information that has absolutely no structure. And we could say, you know, terabytes full of, of data and video meetings and customer feedback and all kinds of things, but then what do you do with it and how do you get it back to the person that needs it so that they can make a good decision? And we see that all the time in companies of tiny size and companies all the way up to big size. And unfortunately, the more humans you add to a network, the more complicated that gets. And then you get into social and political sort of power that isn't drawn into the org chart or anything like that. And it turns out somebody in the middle is the linchpin for all the important things, but you didn't even know that. <laughs> so yeah, tremendously challenging yeah. problems. I admire you for wanting to even try to tackle this because I've done knowledge management rollouts for maybe up to 500 people and changing human behavior is one of the hardest things. Mm, yeah, no, I think certainly, and I think this is why we are um, quite focused on use cases where there already are those activities. And, and expand from there because like I think the word that you um, use is exactly the the key point right the incentives and behavior like sort of you know we have a, a sort of a, a roadmap to sort of achieving that from different sort of angles this is what excites us because it's not like a the way I think of it is it's a bit mathematical it's like it's not like a formula from a to b the closest car, like closest car, <laughs> right? Strata's route. It's the math is a little bit more complex, right? Here is not just the dimension and matching this human incentives and behavior. I, I love that. It's just, it's, a, it's really fun. Yeah, absolutely. And so you talk about incentives and the first thing that comes to my brain is gamification is a way to think about that. What incentives do you bring down to an individual to, you know, sort of entice the behaviors that you want to happen, you know, to get to that knowledge and wisdom. Yeah, I guess gamification is one. I think also, I think actually it's got to serve like a key, like a, it's got to serve a purpose, right, for that person's like work first. So efficiency, I think we talked about in the in the customer advisor network scenarios, this is efficiency. We have actually some other cases such as we have a bank that use Circle for it, what they call a speaker network. 
so you know, they have a lot of events for their clients and invite speakers like basically daily basis, right? Talking to a small group, large group of customers at conferences, different things. So they have all of these sort of, you know, quote unquote experts really across all areas over the years. So they they have it in some form of CRM, but what we actually actually help them do, they migrate it to us because of the fact that, you know, all the, then the conversations can be captured uh, on our platform as well. So all the vet, the vetting notes, the, the, the screening, all the documents around it, as well as any slides, any agenda is also all can be saved here. So, so first thing first, meaning first layer of value we offer them is that then all of that is captured in one place. It's quite purpose built, quite a fit for what they are trying to do. So efficiency. First. Then actually the second thing we help them is that we also have add-on functions like transaction support, like payment processing and compliance checks. That adds to the value here. And that's actually one of the key um, selling points for these touches. Otherwise, they would have to do all of these uh, compliance checks and payment processing one-to-one. This is a lot of work, right? Yeah. So this is the, I think the, what we're seeing as well. So we're, we're, you have different sort of value proposition get the behavior on the platform. And then as you build up, having, I guess, been involved in knowledge management yourself, I think yours is not like the system doesn't just start becoming magic day one. You've got to use it. You've got to build up the activity. You've got to have content, have information in there for it to really work. So that's how we are approaching this problem. That's interesting to me to think about you must have learned some of the commercial drivers behind this because you're, you know, you have a mathematical science type of approach to the the problem, you know, I can tell that. And I wonder what assumptions you made at the beginning about what would drive, you know, the user behaviors and adoption versus what actually happened. If if I've learned anything in 20 years of business is humans do not behave in rational fashions unless you can really understand like, you know, what that, that motivation is, you know, almost like a one-to-one type of, a basis. So like, what did you think was going to happen? And then what actually happened when you moved into commercialization? Because I, I often find those are different and interesting things. Yeah. So it's actually a really interesting question, right? Like, you know, so we had, we, we had the luxury of having also a legacy solution that we have been offering since we founded the company in 2015, which is basically a um, global base of experts that our customers can access for knowledge um, sharing. So they would talk to these experts for, say, a consultation on, you know, could be, again, customer insights, could be their views of, you know, what's going on in this crazy world, you know, things like that. So having actually seen how our customers use our own network, we actually have a sense of what what use cases um, can be created here for a private network scenario. So basically that that has informed our view on how we want to approach um, the initial set of um, use cases and customers. So a lot of actually our existing customers with this circle product, which is a way for you to create your private knowledge network, actually came from our um, existing customer base that's using our legacy product and answers. Yeah. Right, right. And how did you set out to build a global network of experts, you know, it's the kind of thing that you wish you had, but I know building it from scratch to get, you know, that's a double-sided market 
problem. I need experts to put their brain into a system so that anybody wants to buy into it, but nobody wants to buy into it because there's no experts. I mean, how do you solve that problem from the beginning? That's a classic one of a thing I will use later, but I won't use it until somebody else is using it. So how did you get around that problem? Um, look, initial phase is hot pitches, right? You just kind of, you know, go after people. And I still remember the first day of us running, just like phone calls. Right? <laughs> so, 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 I mean, I think that's also a lot of, I think, to be honest, like when you think about platform companies, like two-sided, that's what happens also usually at the start is you just have to, you know, figure out a way to either get your supply first or demand first. Right. For us, we got our demand first and then we figure our supply. And uh, that's usually the other way. Well, <laughs> I, I guess that's if you don't if you don't have a lot of money to spend on supply, you have to figure out demand first and then put it on pause and go, OK, wow, we need supply. Quick. go. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I guess that's also pointing out to the need. Right. I mean, pointing out the fact that there, there, there had been a gap in the market that's enough of a need that hey, people are willing to buy us at when we were zero. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, as you grow, what, what it is that, you know, um, you've got to leverage and obviously your supply demand dynamics, credibility of, you know, both sides. And actually, most importantly, is also like being able to, I think for us, communicate and talk about actually our vision, right? What we're really looking to do, which is uh, platform or knowledge networks is, you know, otherwise people might just look at you for that one transaction only. But really what we're trying to do is build a longer term relationship with these firms, which we had been quite focused on since the early years. Yeah. Did you ever think of it as a, it reminds me of virtual think tank or, you know, virtual knowledge base. You couldn't possibly hire all the smartness that you need for your company, but you can use it on a, a fractional basis and kind of grow that. Is that the initial proposition? Yeah, that's certainly is the case for our answers product. So that's like, so if you think about like the ring of relationships, right? So you have people inside your company and then people in your first layer of contact, right? Whether it's your customers, your suppliers, your stakeholders, then you have the outer sort of everyone else. So our answers product is like everyone else. And then our circle product is allowing you to sort of um, organize sort of the, the first layer and the, the, the inner. Yeah. Yeah. What about the second layer? Then? <laughs> is there another one coming? So, so we have quite a, quite a product roadmap coming as the way we think about this knowledge networks and knowledge sort of as, as an ecosystem. That's so much that can be done. There's one more major product that, that we are working on, planning for um, end of the year, early next year. So, you know, we'll make sure we, we ping you when we, when we have that ready. <laughs> okay, right. we'll, have to, we'll have to do an update on that one. So that's fantastic. And so you came to want to solve this problem. Let's talk about the path from, you know, school to professional. Like, how did you grow and discover this and kind of build up to the point that, okay, now I'm going to be a founder and this is the problem that I want to solve. Yeah. Look, um, I guess my in my mind, it wasn't so much like, hey, I want to be a founder or I want to like, say, be an entrepreneur or anything. I, I, I guess I've just been quite obsessed with this problem per se or topic or more like, because, you know, look, I'm, you know, I was born and grew up in Hong Kong, when I was in Singapore, but then I ended up being very fortunate, like having a, a sort of a career, like education, you know, between US and Europe. And the whole time, actually, I benefited from being able to talk to the right people outside and inside of my own network. And I think 
I, I, I've learned kind of that firsthand that, you know, knowledge is like, you know, it gives people chances, right? Yeah, so that is just really inspiring to me. Like, I want to be able to sort of take part in kind of being able to make this, I guess, problem, having some solution here that really give people efficient access to knowledge. You know, and I think one more one more thing that really sort of pushed me sort of over the line is that as I was having all of these sort of work level sort of needs, so I, I spent quite quite a number of years in in investment in private equity, looking at whether it's tech companies or building products or like shipping or you know resorts, right? Like all of these things, like I had to learn very quickly, and this all of these new areas. And the easiest way for me to learn was again to talk to people whether it's people that is in that company's network or outside. So you know, just, just like throughout my, I think my life, that was sort of the, the theme, I feel like, is how I grow as a person, how I grew professionally. So that's, that's what's inspired me to pursue this. It's a very visionary-based founder story. You know, solve my own problem, solve a, a bigger global problem. And at, at what point did you... How did you really make the decision to go out and say, I'm going to do this, you know, sort of on my own, or I guess I'm going to guess with a team. And then who is, what collection of skills did you know to put together for that initial team? Because I think I know well enough that, you know, myself being sort of more on the big thinking strategic founder type of side, I need executors or I'm just going to sit around with my notebook and talk about stuff, but I'm never going to actually do it. <laughs> so I wonder what your story is to build that initial unit of, of critical people. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the energy to do this at the beginning is just like, I guess I'm quite a, in a way at heart, a, a creator, like, you know, I'm kind of like have an artist, my dad's an artist. Even though like I've done finance, I don't think they truly get what I've been, what I've been doing over the years. <laughs> but, but I think that the artist side of me, like in terms of, you know, painting, sculpture, all of that to me is like kind of like problem solving. And as you're kind of approaching something, you're morphing, you're tweaking and you're evolving it. I think it's very much like creating a business or this kind of, I don't think of Link as so much like, you know, I don't think of it in the context of a company or business. I think of it as a, a solution that we're creating and how do we ultimately like try to solve that. Then whether it's the team or how we approach it, like sort of that's our why, right? Then it, the how and what we do is actually, to be honest, it evolves over time. And we asked me about then the initial team, like we, the initial team, especially when you start, start from you know, zero, it's all about then people who shares what you believe in things aren't fully formed yet. You don't have that how or why fully laid out yet. So that's, and that's what we ended up doing. You know, people that shares a similar belief in what we do and what we're trying to do. Same thing with the customer. Uh, communicating, you know, the actually the vision here. I think that also attracts not just employees, customers, people that, that come and help us out over the years. Right. And then did you have to think about from that vision step the shared vision you know you could have a bunch of people and then how do you figure out like whose job is what you know as you do that because i i have found i've done it myself and i've found you know other companies sometimes will start with a, a group of people who all agree about the problem or the solution or the vision and then lack at times the distinct skill sets to really operationalize and you know and execute and i think that's a really 
hard thing when you wake up three years later and you go like, we don't have the people we need, even though everybody here loves the thing. Yeah. This is actually, to be honest, like, I think we can go on in August. I feel like, look, I, I, first of all, I have a fundamental personal belief that anyone, if you have the right mindset, you want to learn that you can learn and equip and be able to do something well. I, I personally believe in that. Although at the same time, as I have, you know, gone through just experiences of building Link up, it's said, it's also a matter of, I think, aligning, um, aligning sort of whether or not, you know, to your point, experience and motivations, right? Interest, right? Even though the person's like maybe really um, gung-ho and want to do well, but maybe it's just not aligned with like the interest area. Some people are more numerically oriented. Some people are more, let's say, communication oriented. Like then you've got to align based on that sort of innate abilities a little better. So, so yes, I mean, indeed, I've learned that over time is I think the initial days, like, hey, everybody went t- wear 10 hats. Right? <laughs> everybody, did, everybody does everything. There's a very clear moment, I feel, in our company where I think probably when we grew from maybe 40 to 50 people around that range, right, a couple of years back, that I feel like we had to really then grow into, like, a company with different specialist functions. And that's how then you can become more scalable with more, you know, then you start to build in, you know, process and make things more efficient that way. But it's always a balance, as you know. Yeah, absolutely. And it's organization and and structure and processes and and even knowledge management is always the thing that, I mean, the best right day to do it is now and the second best day is tomorrow. Because it's interesting to me, like even when, we work with companies that are, you know, five people, it's never too early to start writing everything down. And yet when you have the the situation of everybody has 10 hats, you find the first thing that does not happen is anybody writes anything down and, you know, makes a process or tries to, to scale it. And uh, it's that, you know, sort of important, not urgent stuff, but you sure wish years later that you, had established that type of, of culture. I mean, I, I firmly believe the knowledge stuff is really what makes a good company. And the hardest thing is day one, when you open that, you know, whatever it is, your notion, confluence, you know, whatever SharePoint, and you got a blank screen in front of you and it's time to start writing down what we do here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I think you pointed out something really important, which is that it, 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 even though it's about, it's, it's like this action of writing things out, right? So I think a lot of, I would say, quote unquote, knowledge management tools uh, or approaches by companies out there is to try to document stuff, whether it's like internal wiki or I say organize your drive and things like that. So the way we think about then link where we sit, where we play, where we focus on is this, we think that actually people is probably 60-70% of that equation. So you have conversations, you have documents, people. So because ultimately conversations and documents come from people. So 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 and it's very difficult to like write everything out. Like and but I think there had been maybe a bit of a I guess legacy approach to knowledge management is about documenting. So so our thesis here is that it's about use. So facilitating the actions that needs to happen first and then through that activity sort of build out you know indication about you know the individuals and basically instead of trying to say having the quote-unquote knowledge documented knowledge replacing 
the need to go to people with link it's like you know we want to encourage actually you going to the right person for further sharing so that's i think is a very different i guess uh, approach that we have versus other tools yeah how do you capture that when they go to someone and have that critical conversation obviously you do want to capture it and you don't want to force them to type a bunch of notes after their meeting but you want to capture that organic discussion and then make it useful somewhere else i i'm suspecting that's where you know some of the ai and and machine learning work yeah exactly and you know this stage to be honest these two three years with video conferencing network chat systems all these are almost an accelerator for what we are what we are trying to do obviously it's not possible for you to try to capture 100 percent but to the extent where things are happening on digital platforms, so we basically integrate with different tools. We also have our own communication platform for people to have calls on, Q&A systems on our platform as well. So allowing basically different kinds of formats to happen on our end. Yeah. I mean, it, we learn that, you know, some 50% of all knowledge is tacit, and the joke is the other 50% is an email. Now, hopefully that it won't be that way. But, you know, you want to capture as much of that pie as you can in an organic fashion that, that feels good to people so that ultimately when they leave and they will leave, at least your, your company can try to maintain, you know, some of that as they move to that outside circle and become your uh, outside expert. Yeah, that, that, that's a great point. You know, institutionalized the knowledge uh, and have that retention is huge benefit, I think, for companies. And I think our system actually has a way to, let's say, you know, if someone moved from your inner circle to like, let's say your alumni, you could actually potentially create an alumni network using the same system and that person just maintain it with the same profile. Right, right. Like they uh, maintain their individual profile and they just move contexts inside and outside of different circles so and then so what in 10 15 years you'll have all the circles and then you own all the knowledge no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) but you can see how like that would be uh that would be an intoxicating vision to to just say wow you know how else can we continue to move this forward and that that makes me think as a ceo you know of a, a company i think you have some 500 and something folks now how do you balance keeping the the mission and vision piece and then the integrator piece? And then obviously you also have to have like a whole bunch of execution to run a business of that scale. That's one of the biggest challenges of leadership in, in scale is, you know, like at some point there's a lot of work to do, but I have to keep my eye on the big picture as well. So I like to ask, you know, how do you personally you know, keep that balance so that it's it's good for yeah. everybody. So first of all, actually, we don't own the the data. It's actually the the circle owner, which is the the businesses and actually the the individual. So I'm also a big believer in not having advertising or anything like that, just because I think it's a really important um, awareness to have it, that a, what are you building in terms and then versus and then what monetization model you use hugely impact the incentives and behaviors, right? So, so yeah, so to us, the plans here in terms of what we are kind of looking at right now, is really important for us to understand that and have that awareness. We have 250 people, not 500. 
Okay. I just looked at LinkedIn, so they they inflate you on LinkedIn. <laughs> well, but look, uh, I think the the question is still very much applies, right? I think the challenge in terms of you know um, doing that, and you know, I, I don't. To be honest, I don't think I have the perfect like. Uh, balance between say trying to like you know between sort of the details and then needing to sort of step away and really think strategically but I think the framework that I try to kind of remind myself of and you probably heard me just now talk about the why how what I'm gonna live about that so 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 I, I I keep that in my mind quite often is that bringing things to the why and keep challenging myself around the how and the what because those things as you have clarity Though in terms of how you want to approach it, what solutions and product you generate and who you target, et cetera, like uh, certain kind of like details will evolve along the way. So you've got to always center yourself around what you're trying to achieve at the end of the day, because otherwise you might get dragged by what you see, what you hear into a different direction. Some would make sense, some wouldn't, but you've got to go back to this framework and evaluate that. So I do practice that quite often, especially with, you know, decisions that you have to make. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. It reminds me, I think Simon Sinek yeah. wrote the Start With Why book. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. It's funny how those things age so well. Fundamental principles don't change. Yeah, yeah. Simple enough. Like, you know, I, I can't do too complex framework because my, you know, need, need something a little sim- simpler. <laughs> but this is, this is She's talking about multidimensional math and also needing a simple framework. Framework. So I don't know, folks. So we're going to have to <laughs> let that one go. Yeah. So I, Peggy, thank you so much for the insights. I love to ask all the guests to, you know, since you put on your futurist hat and just share what do you think everybody in B2B, you know, should like macro things or big ideas or even small things, like what should they have on their mind going into the next couple of years that they might not be thinking about? So look, I think if if we talk about this question just three, four weeks ago, it's probably quite a different (laughs) discussion. I think we're going through quite an interesting time. Like, look, if if I compare sort of the years I've been through the 08, 09, 10, when I was on the investment side, there's some similarity in the sentiments, which is there's talks around recession and what that means in terms of valuation multiples, things like that. So I think that any business owners, B2B, B2C, in fact, like uh, need to think about how you make sure there's resilience in your business, that you can either scale or size to a um, cash flow positive state. So I think that's a really important um, thing to do in these times because you don't know what's going to happen in six months. It's unfortunate that we're already talking about in these uncertain times when we were just supposed to be getting out of an uncertain time that was a massive recession. So I have had also the experience of this will be my fourth one. So um, I can tell that you're absolutely right. And I'll derive that down to, you know, if you can't think of anything more complicated, it's cash is king. And you need to, as a business owner, really think about, you know, well, what if it all went to zero and you know what would I do and how long could I keep doing what I'm doing and you know trim the fat if you need to but yeah I think you're absolutely right and I suppose we'd also say over the last three or four weeks you know do not invest all your money in crypto (laughs) but that's a different discussion so (laughs) fantastic well Peggy this was awesome thanks thanks for hanging out Uh, link sounds you know fantastic if anybody's listening and they want to know more or they want to connect with you how should they do that um they can find me um on linkedin twitter 
So, you know, looking forward to really sharing, exchanging. I mean, we have a lot of very interesting sort of inbound ideas and suggestions. I think this is an area that I think people, I think, share personal, I guess, excitement or passion around. So we have had, you know, a lot of sort of friends sort of, you know, built over the years. So very welcome. Fantastic. Well, thanks for coming out. And we look forward to hearing about that product roadmap at the end of the year. Yes. Awesome. Uh, Looking forward to catching up again at that time. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.